This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. The share it with a friend deal. Even if that friend is yourself. Your McDonald's, your rules. Live your best morning with BOGO breakfast sandwiches only on the McDonald's app. Now buy one bacon, egg, and cheese McGriddles or sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and get a second one free. Valid for item of equal or lesser value. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one per day. Excludes one, two, three dollar menu. Visit McDonald's app for details. Download and registration required. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. And welcome back to Cottage Talk. I'm Russ Goldman. Joining me right now is Max Cohen and Alec Coben. This is our post-match show of Fulham's dominating, and I mean dominant, 2-0 victory against Everton at Goodison Park. History was made to be broken, guys. They broke it. So we are going to talk about it. We did a full-time show where we really just gave our initial thoughts. We're going to dive deeper into this victory because I think there's a lot to get out of it. But before I do anything else, I want to welcome my co-host back to the show. Alec, it's been a while, so I'll introduce you first. How are you doing? Are you looking forward to doing the show? I'm very well, thank you, Russ. I'm in a very good mood, as, as I'm sure we all are. Thank you for having been back. <laughs> well, it's great having you back. It's actually having you back with Max is actually uh, just a great thing because I enjoy having the two of you. I'm the old fart in this, but I actually <laughs> enjoy it. Max, <laughs> welcome back to the show, and uh, are you excited to do this? We've been waiting to do a show after victory. It's been a couple months now, so are you excited, my friend? Yeah, I'm, I'm delighted. I'm, I'm raring to go. I remember the last show where it was Alec and I. It was after the Chelsea match. That's right. And we had the whole half glass full, half glass empty <laughs> conversation. I came out empty, but 
maybe it's just starting to turn the tide. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is it, is it? <laughs> I don't know. Listen, I mean, Alec, Alex points are coming true. So that's, I love to see it. I'm glad to be, uh, to be proven wrong. And we got a first win since November. That's right. That's right. And it's important. But again, as we were talking about him full time, let's not get too ahead of ourselves because there's a lot of work to be done. But this was an important step. Getting that victory was huge. So, Alec, I'm going to go to you first. I just want to get your just opening thoughts on this victory, thoughts on how Fulham played. And you could even mention, you know, what this could potentially mean for Fulham moving forward because they needed to get a victory. And history was broken, as I keep saying. Well, Ross, I just think that it was a fantastic performance. I mean, we were solid at the back. We were dogged in the midfield and we were lethally quick down the left-hand side. And yes, it would, Everton was just simply no match for us yesterday. I mean, to go to Goodison Park, to dominate the game like that, to dominate possession, dominate the shots, we didn't give them a sniff. I think, they had, I, think I, I counted one chance that they had. All, what did Areola really have to do, Alec? Yeah, it's 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 a real relief not to have to name Ariola man of the match this week. It's <laughs> great. Point. I must say, so I just think it was a fantastic performance. Uh, really happy all round. Okay, excellent, Max. Over to you. It's funny because uh, Emilio and I talked about this. We felt it was coming. Now you have, like I said, you're more glass half empty. Did you feel this was coming? Did you feel that a victory like this was coming? Maybe not against Everton. But did you feel that it was all leading up to a performance that matches actually a result? Because the performance was great, but we actually got the result. Yeah, I think what they did um, yesterday was exactly what we've been calling for in this podcast for months. You know, Russ, in terms of your pleas to go for a four at the back, right? Yes. We did that. Yes. I think everyone's, you know, urges to get a goal scoring number nine in. And. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't rocket science. No. It's, it's the same thing. Every single fan, I think, has recognized we need someone who can score goals. Someone who has that striker's instinct. And Josh Maggio, what a dream debut. And there it happens. But there it happens in the sense that he had the super Right place movement. at the right time, Max. Yeah, he made it easy for himself. That's right. So you can see them as easy goals. But I say that it's great movement, great intelligence in the box. Yes. And then we had that four at the back. We played more on the front foot. And we had the midfielders in Harrison Reed and Lamina. I'm going to single out Harrison Reed, as you know, many people have. Yes. He was unbelievable. To win the ball back in almost every single encounter, to press forward, to get the shots on goal. You know, it was such a complete performance. He was excellent. But again, uh, it, you have made it the question seem, has it been coming? I think in a way it, it has been, but it's almost like we needed the right ingredients. We needed that new striker in January, and we needed a more aggressive change of formation. And those two yes. things happened Sunday, and that's, I think, that's why we won. That's a great point, Max. And Alec, I, I'm glad that Max brought that up because the ingredients, they all needed to come together, but also the mentality had to be there. And I think that their mentality was slightly different. It was more aggressive. And again, was it the formation change? Was it the players out there? Was it a combination of all? But what's interesting about it was from the get-go, they were looking to go forward. You watch even in defense. We're going to talk about this because, again, Tosin and – Anderson really, again, we could talk about them defensively, but they were always forward thinking. They were always looking for the pass. They were, again, it was looking forward. It was more aggressive. It was actually going for the win. I could feel the approach was a little bit different. It wasn't as safe as I'm accustomed to. Did you see any difference that I did? Because I saw a mentality difference. I saw it too. I saw it. I definitely saw it too, Russ. And 
I just think it's a. I would just want to give a big shout out to Scott Parker. I think you yes. know, he's really turned the team. He's really turned the team around. He's been patient when his critics have been very vocal. Um, it can't have been easy to go for five at the back for so much of the season, but he really took the time to show up the defense. He's built up that confidence now, so that the defense feels like they don't need to have that extra man at the back. Now we have. Now we can push one more guy forward. And we are much more lethal on the attack. We don't need to sit back so much, and we have a lot more. Uh, we have a lot more going forward on the wings, especially. Um, yeah. I just think. I just think it was. I think he's really instilled a real defensive-minded mentality when we are when we are on the back foot. But when we are going forward, we're very quick, and we know how to find the gaps now. And uh, and as as Max just said, we were dogged in. We were pretty dogged in the midfield. We were winning ev- absolutely everything. And actually, that sort of that sort of battle, we since we won that, that allowed us to get even the second goal probably um, from you know Harrison Reed getting a little bit of space on the, on the edge of the box, which he doesn't usually do. That's right. So I think it was an I what, think it was a real change of mentality. Look at his mentality change coming back from that West Brom match. You know, and again he has been more aggressive. And if you watch his interview on uh, Fulham FC on on FFC TV, he talks about he's been working on. His shooting, and it's obvious that he has been. And Max, I want to go to you because, again, I think that we have to really talk about Parker and his tactics because, again, it's been passed down to the players. He had a formation that was working that made us solid, but now it's taken it to another level where now we can be more aggressive and go for for the win. I think that that formation with five at the back made us solid and – was more to play for the point and potentially a victory. Like I said, it was just to be more cagey and try to make a team make a mistake, and then maybe we would beat them on the counter. This formation, the way they're playing now, it's taking it to teams. It's being more forward-thinking. Would you agree with that? And and shouldn't we give uh, Parker some serious credit here for evolving as a manager during the season? Yeah, 100%. And I think the other big tactical move was putting Ina at left back. That's huge. And, yeah. and now, I think that, that was a master stroke because we've seen him play, you know, on the right side of that back three. And sometimes we've seen him play as the right wing back, but I've never seen him this season at left back. And that really raised eyebrows um, when I saw the team selection come out. I didn't know what the formation would be. But look at Ina. He was, you know, the assist for Madge's first goal. And he was a constant presence, you know, along that left wing. In a sense that, you know, Anthony Robinson, who's, I think, a fan favorite, I don't think he can have any complaints about, you know, losing his spot in terms of the way I no. played, which was, again, a big gamble from Parker in that moment. And then, you know, to have the confidence to start Magia, that's something that also needs to be applauded because he only just arrived, you know, mm. a couple weeks ago, and he's putting him right into starting 11 in his second full match. Most managers, you know, might wait a couple matches to finally start the player. That was bravery. That showed he knew, he knew what needed to be done. Yep. Um, and I really think the Harrison Reed point is, is a good thing to bring up because who's out of the squad? It's Angisa. And Angisa is <laughs> a player who might have been the yeah. first name on the team sheet in the first half of the season. Maybe fans and Parker come to realize he, his style of play might not be the best for the, the revival we need. You know, he's, he's very good at winning the ball back. He's decent at driving forward. But does he play the same quickness that Lamina and Reed play with? I don't think so. And I think that's another good tactical move. Well, it's interesting that you say that, but... It could also be against certain opponents, Max, because against this opponent, maybe that central midfield pairing of Reed and uh, Lamina really worked, but maybe against someone else, Angisa fits. So, again, 
that's what's interesting here because you have a lot of pieces that you can mix and match. And I don't think that we have seen the end of Anthony Robinson, but it's going to be very hard for him to get back in after that performance against Aina. And it, I thought it worked very well. I thought he worked very well with Adam O'Lookman. We're going to talk about him. And because uh, back and forth going with some fans and Emilio about the play of Adam Olukman. So I'm going to get your thoughts, both of you, on how you felt he played because I can actually see both sides of the argument. Did he play well or did he not play well? Are we making, you know, again, it's, it's very interesting to look at it because Emilio was focusing a lot on the lack of finishing from Adam Olukman, but he does offer something to, to uh, as other fans have pointed out to me as well. So it's just an interesting discussion. That's what makes this show great is that we can have different opinions. But guys, before we talk about the starting 11 and the 18 overall, I always like to do this. I'll go to you first, Alec. Biggest takeaway from the match. The match is over a form of 1-2-0. It's the first thing that comes to your mind. First thing, biggest takeaway out of this match. Winning the midfield battle is the most important thing in the game. If you win the midfield battle, not only do you create chances going forward, but you completely neuter any attack coming from the opposition. And that's yes. what happened. It wasn't just the fact that we dominated on the attack. It's just that Everton didn't even have a sniff. We dominated possession, dominated shots. They didn't have a chance. So that would be my biggest takeaway from the match. But I'm sure, but I have amongst many others because yep. there were, as you mentioned, there were many pieces that we put together perfectly yesterday. The puzzle. The the puzzle came together perfectly. Yeah. How about you, Max? Yeah, my biggest takeaway was I'm so interested to see what a win does to this team because, <laughs> as you mentioned, we've been crying out for one for months, yeah. literally months. Yeah, And I think a lot of fans have a sneaking suspicion that just one win could you know open the floodgates. And with the three matches ahead of us, you know, Palace, Sheffield United, Burnley, there are opportunities to pick up three points in, Absolutely. in I'd say all those matches. And it just had to be one game to show the squad that we had it what it takes to get the three points. Because I really do think a lot of it is mental, you know. Yeah. And after the West Ham match, I not totally agree there so long, yeah. not getting there. There was probably a mental block in many of these players' minds, thinking we're playing so well, we're just unlucky. Now I think we got a lot of luck in this match against Everton uh, in a way we haven't got all season, which is good. I'm not thinking about lucky, but things went our way for the first time. I think the players can now push on, play with confidence. And of course, as you know, people are saying in the comments, be cautious about the excitement. We're still seven points clear safety in this moment in time. But no one expects us to win against Everton, even in the most optimistic scenario. I predicted two to one. <laughs> Ross, you predicted <laughs> win almost every match, okay? Um, uh, just, just um, okay, but yeah, well, very, very few people. Very I mean, true. When I came on the show, we saw we might get match <laughs> wins against, you know, Burnley, Sheffield United, Palace. West Brom, it's like, but no one saw a win. Very few people saw a win away at Everton, a team challenging for top four. So now this opens up possibilities. Could we get more than we thought? You know, still a lot of football to be played, and it's just nice to have something to go off a springboard, if you will. Okay, well, I I do have that positive feeling about me, but that's kind of constant. So I, I get what you're saying on that, Max. Very good by you to point that out. Okay. Before we really break down the match, which I really want to get into, I want to talk about the starting 11 in, in the 18 overall. We also have to talk about the Mitro situation. I've had fans uh, reach out to me saying, you guys have to talk about Mitro, the COVID situation, and what do we do with Mitro moving forward? But let's start with the starting 11 in the 18 overall. Okay, over to you, Alec. Your thoughts when you saw it an hour before the match? I honestly was not very sure. <laughs> so that's why I give even more credit to Scott Parker, because I'm not sure this was 
you know, the the starting eleven people really expected uh, expected to be super successful on the night. Um, putting Josh Ma- Josh Maja in, um, I think that was quite a risky move. When we have other more experienced strikers, more experienced with the club, um, but he really did perform. And credit to Scott Park for taking the chance on him. Um, like we said, like we mentioned about Robinson, Robinson's not a bad player. He's had a decent season. He's pretty good for going forward. But Aina really gave us some good, uh, really good attacking presence on, on the left-hand side whilst maintaining that kind of assurance at the back. So I was very impressed with the starting eleven in general. I thought, you know, we took out some players that haven't necessarily been bad this season. You're right. Um, that haven't been necessarily bad this season. But at the same, but at the same time, uh, they really, it really, we really pulled it off. So um, I was pretty happy with that starting. I was pretty happy with that starting eleven after seeing the result, not after, not, sure. not you know, thirty minutes before the game. Well, let me ask you: What did you think the formation was going to look like? At that time, well, I thought we were going to play five at the back. When you go away okay. to a you know to a European contender, to a European contender, you usually you know you usually go for a more uh, conservative approach. He didn't do but, that, and I thought you know if we put five at the back against Brighton, then why would we why would we not put five <laughs> at the back against away at Everton? So I thought that was quite a brave. I thought that was quite a brave move, but I think yes. it also showed that Scott Parker has finally gone to the point where he can trust his defense not to hemorrhage three goals a game if we don't have three centre-backs. And and that's allowed us to push forward. And we completely overloaded that left. We, we allowed oh. us to completely overload the wings, especially on the left-hand side. Seamus Coleman was completely overrun. And not only that, the because we managed to overload that left wing, it gave us a lot of space in the middle to create even more to create even more opportunities. And that's actually ultimately point. gave Harrison Reed the, the space to get that shot off for the second goal. So That's a great point. So ultimately, so ultimately, I think it was a, I think it was a very smart move, just not not just with the formation, but also with the player selection as well. I think both are key because uh, again, it was really uh, you can have the right players out there, but you have to have the right formation that fits all these players, and it has to work together. It all worked perfectly, Max. So I want to get your thoughts when you saw the starting eleven, and then your thoughts on what you thought the formation was going to be because Alex thought it was still going to be five at the back. Yeah, when you see Decker over Reed in there, you have no idea where he's going to play an hour before the match because he can play anywhere. So I think it ended up he's probably played closer up to the forward line or even on the right wing, which I think is a better position for him rather than because I thought it might have actually been left wing back because we've seen right. you know Ina play on the right center back, Tete right wing back, and then Decker over Reed left wing back, which is not his most effective position in my opinion. Um, so it was nice to see him play further forward. I do want to talk about Mitrovic though because let's talk about it. And again, this is probably three or four times a season I've said this. We played the best I've seen us play all season, and Mitch Rich played no role. The other time was a Leicester City match, and then I'd say probably the Liverpool match. We don't miss him. And that's that's how I see it, is that I haven't seen anything from Mitch Rich in the last you know, couple of months that shows he can deserve a starting spot in this team. I think he can be a very useful substitute, you know, 20 minutes to go, 25 minutes to go. But if we have a player like Magic who's in the form that he's in, two goals on his full debut. I don't see a role for Mitrovic. Um, and, and that's not very sentimental, but I think that's the truth. Uh, obviously, it's, it's odd, though, that the club announced COVID-19. In my recollection, it's the first time since the pandemic began, you know, almost a year ago, that the club's ever released a player tested positive. Even over the, like, in July, June area, 
Um, they mentioned some people had it, never confirmed it. And of course, in the most recent outbreak, never confirmed any names. So I was curious what you guys thought about that, that they actually went out and named Mitrovic. Do you, do you think he requested that? Um, it just seemed kind of odd. It's very interesting because, again, I'm glad that we're talking about Mitro. That's a good transition because I really wanted to talk about this. And uh, they haven't done that. Why did they go ahead? That's a great point. Why did they go ahead and let us know if they haven't let us know about anyone else? I don't know. Was it from his request? I have no idea. That's a great point. Over to you, Alec. I want to get your thoughts about the Mitro situation and also what Max just brought up because Fulham have not done that at all. They actually announced that Mitro had COVID. I think the club are trying to play down his absence from the from the formation. It's not just you know, it's not just that he's a, a high profile player who's missing from the starting lineup. He's also a player who really you know wears 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 his attitude on his sleeve. Quite honestly, he really he you know he is very expressive with his emotions. Uh, and I, I think I think quite frankly we we just didn't want to upset or cause cause any sort of ruse uh, in the media about this. Um, I think it is a big deal that um, Mitrovic isn't starting, and I think it's very clear that he just does not fit in the side right now. I mean, yeah. I think about I think about the the, the closest example I can think about think um, think to this is um, is Portugal when they won the Euro- when they won the European Championship, and in the final they played their best in the in the final, and they didn't and they played without yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo, and. Uh, and like you wouldn't think that Portugal would play gr- brilliantly without Cristiano Ronaldo, but and you wouldn't think that Fulham would play brilliantly without Mitrovic, but there you have it. I also think that Mitrovic is one of those players that can, he's one of those players who can create something out of nothing. And right. we don't have nothing. <laughs> We're not one of those Route One teams. We like to get the ball on the ground. We like to pass it out of the bank. Anderson is as is, is as good on the ball as Harrison Reed, quite honestly, and. And I think when we're passing it out the back and not going that route one formation, we don't need the big man up front to do the little flick cons and the little glancing headers, to, glancing headers to those running on behind behind the back line. We don't need any of that. I think I think as Max said, I think maybe he would be useful to keep around as one of those players that we can throw in on the last twenty minutes just to shut the game down, just to hold the ball in the corner or just make a muck a muck in the box and just cause a rabble with the defense. At the same time. We could get probably a fair bit of money for him. I think it might be time for him to for, for him to move on. Quite honestly, um, he just does not fit our style of play, and I just don't see that clear cut of a role or that much of a reason to keep him around. But well, what's interesting, and again, it's only been two matches, one starting from Josh Maja, but you could see how he fits into this puzzle. You could see it now again. Will he be able to do this each and every match? Only time is going to tell. But you could see it. With Mitro, it's hard to see how it all works. Now, Mitro can hold up the ball, but so can Josh Maja. And Maja can really get into the box, and, and it just has this knack. And again, it's very early on, but you can see that he is a poacher. You can see it. You can see but it. I, th- I think we've got to be careful with Josh Maja. I mean, he no doubt he got himself into brilliant positions for the goal, but they were tappings, uh, you know. Is he going to be able to keep us cool? And keep, is he going to be able to keep us cool when he's one on one in the 85th minute, and it's a and it's a real live or die situation? Like we yeah. have come up against this season. Is he is he not is he going to keep us cool there? Is he not going to bottle it? That's what it's really going to come down to. It. There's yeah. one thing being in the right place at the right time. It's another thing. Just it's another thing to completely to have 
pressure bearing down upon you and to still stick it in the back of the net when it's not that easy of a chance, chance which Mitrovic did so well in the championship. That's so he right. Has yet to, so he has yet to prove himself in that in that sense, but it, it's just early days. And full credit to the guy for for a fantastic performance. However, he does he does still have you know he does still have something to prove. I I, I think before he can, we can confidently say that he has fully totally and agree. beyond filled Mitrovic's shoes. Totally agree, Alec. But in, again, this goes to your argument or to the argument we're making now. Yeah. Mitro should be part of the squad. He needs to be part of it because. There might be those moments where you need someone like that. And I'll even say, and I know fans will roll their eyes, Cavallaro. Because I think Cavallaro has a role too. I, I, you know, I know how people feel about him, but his work rate is very good. He, again, can't finish to save his life, but, you know, and I shouldn't have put it, you, you know what I mean. You know, I don't mean that literally, but, you know, he, he just can't, you know, he just can't finish. And that's an issue. But I think he has a role too. And as you've, as uh, you can see, you know, if you watch uh, the video with Scott Parker, he mentions Mitro. He also mentions Cavalero. So over to you, Max. This is the argument why I still think that there's a role for Mitro, and it could be starting in certain matches. But as Alec just said, early days on Josh Maja, it's encouraging. But we still have other options, and Mitro could be one, and, and I'm going to say it, Cavalero could be as well. Yeah, I think everyone can agree they all deserve to be involved in the squad. But if it's a question of who's starting in that kind of four-two-three-one formation, who's going to be the lone striker? It has to be Magia, just based on what he has two goals in one start. That's as many league goals that Mitra has all season. You know, and it all came that one match against Leeds in what September. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And Cavalera has three yeah. goals all season and two from open play. So when you have someone does what all the other strikers have done essentially over the course of 20 matches do it in one start that's a really great first impression i, I do see what alec is saying for sure yeah. about it. it's a small sample size and you know even i was saying this after the first half when i was pretty frustrated at the nil nil you yeah. know we're, we're knocking on the door didn't get any finishing touches i kind of said look this is kind of the same that's been all season i haven't really seen much from magia where it looked like we've no cutting edge of course that changed very quickly but <laughs> i think what what we can say is that our number nines in the system, our strikers don't really have a say in the build-up play because I think the build-up play largely, they don't really have a massive effect on it. What they do have effect on, can they turn the chances into goals? And that's why I think Magic has to be the guy because he's shown a great ability to do that in a very short span of time. Um, okay. He also showed the ability to hold up the ball, which I think is important too. He, he did do that in this match too, Max. So I think that, I think it's a little bit more than that. That's fair, but we're not. That's not his main role. His main role is to no. score goals, and his honestly, main role is to score. I would be happy to score tap-ins because that shows he's getting into the six-yard box and we're getting that's right. Crosses. And when I've seen Mitro play this season, he's not been doing that. I mentioned this in the past show. Yep. He seems to be timid, waiting on the edge of the eighteen-yard box, not getting into the positions he was getting in in the championship. So yep. that's why I like Magic. He has that sense to you know pull off the defender, get to the back post, yep. which we haven't seen movement like that thus far. Okay, I'm going to share this comment from Chris Davidson. Mitro is our striker on the bench for the mm-hmm. moment, but he's still important if we need to change the game. I agree with Chris on this right now. This is what I think is going to be what what his role is going to be. I could still see him starting against certain opponents, but if things go well with Josh Maja, if Parker wants to stick with the way that we played against Everton, then it's Maja. It's, it's, it's Maja. You know, that that's the way I look at it. Alec, your thoughts on what Chris just shared? He kind of agrees with what we're talking about here. 
Yeah, I feel I'll say one thing right now, and then in two weeks I'll say a completely different thing if Mitro <laughs> either really surprises me, really surprises me for good, or really disappoints me. <laughs> I think some there have been times he has come on and he has changed the game, but there have been times he he's come on and, and been and been completely useless as well. And he just throws a sulk. I mean, I feel Mitro's game is defined by his first five minutes on the pitch. If it goes well for him, if he gets a couple of decisions his way, if he wins a free kick here and there, he's 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 on fire. But when 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 a couple of things goes against him, he he will end up elbowing someone and getting getting sent off and getting suspended for five games. <laughs> I mean, the guy the guy is very erratic, and I think and I think that sort of that sort of attitude can fly in the champ in the championship where yep. the referees are a little bit more lenient, the defenders are the defenders can be bullied a little bit more. But in in the Premiership, when you have a little bit more class and you need a little bit more finesse, um, not just not just and a, a little bit more of a can-do attitude, I think he is a little bit out of his depth. I think yes, we should hold on to him for now. However, I think we should be very open to the possibility of letting letting him go in in the summer. Uh, just going back to Major, though, I think he really combines the two strengths of of Cavalera and Mitrovic. You know, Cavalera gets himself into good positions. He's he's a, he's got fantastic work rate. Whereas Mitrovic is a good finisher, but he can't get himself in the positions, and he's a bit lazy, uh, in my in my opinion. Whereas Maja has a good balance of the two. Like you mentioned, he can hold up the ball well. He can get it, and we saw he can get into great positions, and he can obviously finish quite well. Um, so I, I I'm confident that I'm I'm confident that you know we've got a, we've got some good options. You know, moving forward moving forward with the rest of the season. But I think for now, let's let's hold on to. I definitely agree that we should hold on to Metro, but yep. we should be open to the possibility that he might his days with Fulham might be over. Okay, very interesting. Okay, coming up next, we're going to break down this match. We'll look at both halves, and we will end with man of the match. Okay, guys, let's get to it. Let's talk about the first half, and uh, I want you guys to analyze the first half. And uh, I'm just going to put up this. I actually put this up. Full time because Fulmer dominant in the first half, but had nothing to show for it. You have plenty of, I shouldn't say plenty of opportunities, but you had some some decent opportunities. You had an opportunity for Maja in the eighth minute. You had a shot by Reed in the twentieth minute. Lookman shot just goes wide in the twenty sixth minute, and then in the forty first minute you had an opportunity from Lookman. But let's just start here. Over to you, Max. I, I want your analysis of the first half because for all of the dominant play, they had nothing to show for it. I was actually worried at halftime. And I'll ask you guys, what were your thoughts at halftime? Because I felt like I've seen this movie before. So yeah. let's talk about the first half because there were some good moments, but there were also some concerning moments, the lack of finishing again. Yeah. Yeah, it was the same old story. I felt that the team played with almost a free reign in that first half. You could sense they went out there knowing that the season would be over if they didn't change it around quickly. And it just seemed like there was more impetus, more urgency. Harrison Reed, as we've talked about a bunch, I think he embodied that in the way that he'd move the ball quickly. And just as soon as you – know, we just kept Everton pinned in their own half, I think, for vast majorities of that first half, which is so impressive to me. And I keep saying, wow, we're playing superb. But as you mentioned, there was no end product. We did go very close, though. I think Deckard over Reed, that flick on off the post, and then Ina just mishits it, and then Anderson hits over. You know, we were knocking on the door. There are high-quality chances there. Um, but yeah, the frustration did kick in and yep. we definitely got a sense of how dangerous Everton could be when Coleman hit the post. That's right. And when that shot was, 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 was off his boot, yeah, yep. I just thought, 
oh no, is this going to be a very cruel lesson about the Premier League again for us? And that's why I think the the fortune kind of fell in our favor. Yep. I could have seen a match, you know, a couple weeks ago, or maybe even, you know, a year ago, 2018, 19, where that goes in and we lose 2 0 or something just because we couldn't, we just got hit in the break and we weren't clinical. But luckily, the second half, we turned up the switch. Okay, very good. All right. Alec, over to you. I want to get your analysis of the first half. And uh, like I'm saying here, it was dominant. But I also want to get your thoughts about this because we are going to talk about what I think led to the two goals in the second half. Because, again, Fulham outworked Everton basically, you know, and, you know, I kept hearing this. You know, they, they had more energy. It was more than that. They worked hard. But, again, they had a game plan and they, and they saw it through. They pressed Everton and Everton could not, as you are already said, it didn't have a sniff, but they were, it, this pressing was creating so many problems for Everton. And I think we saw the results of that in the second half. We're, we're, fo- we're focusing on the first half, but I think what we saw in the first half actually helped them in the second half. Your thoughts? I definitely think so. I think it was the same story pretty much both half. I just think in the second half, we got two goals. I was very worried watching that for the first half that this would be Groundhog Day, that we yep. would dominate the game and and knock and not have, and have nothing to show for it. And as Max said, I mean Everton did come close that one time, and you know it, if that had gone in, it could have just oh. been a Chelsea or a Liverpool situation when we drop points when we have fully deserved to have all three of them. Um, but credit to the team for just digging in deep, not giving up. And I, I think it really did inspire a real hard second half performance. You would have thought that Everton re- would really shake things up, though, after that first half. I mean, we haven't I really agree. talked that much about them. We've talked about how great Fulham have been, but Everton were poor. Everton really did not change anything up. What did not change anything up? I mean, they really needed to pull Seamus Coleman out earlier. That's he on Ancelotti, not... by the way. That's on Carl yeah. Ancelotti because I was expecting something at halftime, just yeah. like you know, just like what happened in the West Brom match when. Sam Allardyce, of all people, changed things at halftime. I expected Ancelotti to do something on that level. He did not. He absolutely yeah. did not, and that actually shocked me. It it was it was quite it was quite surprising. It just seemed slow to react, and I think it's that sort of that. It do you was, think it's arrogance? It was a European arrogance, I thought. I, okay, because I, I think it was arrogance on the on the part of Everton. They look at us, you know, well, we were on fifteen points, eighteenth in the table, but we're not a relegation side. We've been, you watch us play, even in the games that we've, even in our last six games that we've drawn or lost, we're not a relegation side. We pass the ball around. We don't hoof the ball up and, and, and have some sort of haphazard, Hail Mary, Route 1 tactics to score goals. We actually try to get the ball down and pass it. It's like what, it's like if Barcelona were in the, in the relegation zone, quite honestly. And at the end of the, at the end of the day, I just think Everton really, underestimated us in both halves. They thought they thought we pressed them so hard in the first half we would tire out. We did not tire out. They thought we didn't get the goals in the they we didn't get the goals in the first half that they would snatch one and then be able to park the bus. That didn't happen. We didn't even give them another chance after the first half. We kept the defense secure. We kept our heads. We usually concede a lot of late goals as well. And that that didn't happen today. That didn't happen yesterday either. So I think uh, I think it was a combination of the fact that we were just relentless with our we were relentless with our inspired play yeah and Everton just didn't didn't were, were arrogant and didn't want to change anything change a non-functioning system I think that's a great point over to you Max because uh I was thinking about that before even Alec mentioned that and uh the word arrogance came out I actually think that they 
again, they showed up and they just thought they were going to win this match. I'm talking about the players. I'm ta- talking about Ancelotti and everything. I just think that they, again, I, I think Fulham wanted it more. And I think that they took us this match for granted a little bit. They they didn't take Fulham seriously enough. I do think that there was arrogance with Everton in this match. Your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, let's take a step back and look at, you know, Everton. Challenging for Europe. West Ham United, who we, we drew nil-nil, but yeah. perhaps should have won. Challenging for Europe. Liverpool, you know, we got points off them. Chelsea, we should have got points off them. This is such a different story than 2018-19. When Not we even were close. absolutely outclassed in Not probably 80% of our matches. Yeah. Here, we're looking at teams in, in, in the top five, top six, and we're outclassing them. And that just goes to show, I think, what a great job Parker has done. And what an odd situation we find ourselves in. The fact that we're still seven points clear of safety, but outclassing teams who are pushing for Champions League qualification. Yeah. It's it's madness in some ways, and I think we did benefit, to be fair, from Everton. You know, missing Dominic Calvert Lewin, playing 120 minutes in the cup in midweek. These are both factors that definitely made it easier for us. That's no excuse, though. They have a great no. squad. I mean, they have a no, superb they have plenty- team. And yeah, I'm and, sorry, Max. Did Richarlison play? Did he play? <laughs> no, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm completely, completely pocketed by Teta. I mean, Gilfie Sigurdsson's one of the a great creative midfielder. I can't remember a thing he did. I mean, Hamas Rodriguez. I How about Hamas Rodriguez? Heyday, he played well. well, well, he, well he got injured. So. Yeah. We just completely boss him. And I think Alec hit it on hit the nail on the head. We wanted more than they did. They exactly. strolled in expecting an easy afternoon. Alec's 100% right. Yeah, we wanted and, and more. We their party. Yeah. Okay, guys. Let's now transition. Before we talk about the second half, I want to get your thoughts at halftime, okay? Because we kind of already – mentioned this, but I already talked about it at halftime. I'm thinking, I've seen this movie before. I tweeted this out. I was concerned, really concerned at halftime. What's interesting, and I'll share this. Max, I don't know if you saw this at halftime with the broadcast from Peacock from NBC Sports, but uh, Danny Higginbotham was just, he was very impressed with Fulham. And he said this at halftime. He didn't say this after the match. They talked a little bit about it after the match, but he said if Fulham basically had a strike or a goal score, they'd be mid-table. He basically said that he thought that they had pretty much everything else. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He said that at halftime because he thought Fulham played that well. But here's the thing. We've seen the movie before. What was going through your mind? I, Alec already said that he was feeling like me. Were you thinking, uh-oh, this isn't good. We haven't taken advantage of our opportunities. Yeah, I kept thinking that, you know, the, the phase of the game will, will switch which is something the commentators kept saying during the West Brom match in the sense yep. that, you know, Fulham are on top now, but it can't happen the entire match. It will switch. And I was thinking the same thing, that we're not going to enjoy this level of dominance for the entire 90 minutes. When are everything really going to step it up? Right. And and to our great credit, we're the ones who stepped on the gas That's for the right. first half an hour, the second half. We did park the bus for the final 15 minutes, but by that time we were already well clear. And I think that's great game management by Parker. Okay. Very good. All right. Let's now move to the second half. And, Alec, I'm going to give you the honors. Uh, three minutes in to the second half, you have the great play. And I'll, and I'll say great play of uh, Adam Olukman and, of course, Aina setting up Josh Maja on a plate. But, again, that was a poacher's goal. Your thoughts on the opening goal from Josh Maja early in the second half? Well, we keep on talking about we keep on talking about the main themes that, of the game, uh, you know, doggedness in the midfield and then pace down the left hand side. Well, this was all about the left hand, the, the pace down the left hand side. Great give and go between Aina and Lukman and finding Maja, finding Maja in the box. I mean, it was it was twenty seconds from the halfway line to 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 to, to the back of the net, and we were just lethal. 
absolutely lethal. I, 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 I don't have another way to put it. Uh, we were just so quick, uh, just getting down that left-hand side. And Maggio, he, Maggio, I was great credit to him. He anticipated what was going to happen, and he just yep. found himself there completely unmarked in the, in the, in the six-yard box. It was like he saw the play that no one else saw it about 15 seconds before anyone else even conceived of it. So great credit to him. Fantastic goal. Uh, fantastic team goal. Probably one of the best goals we've scored this season, actually. Yeah. Uh, so I was I was very, very happy with that goal. Okay. And phone go up 1-0. What's interesting, guys, is that they didn't sit back and – play for that 1-0 win. The Fulham didn't do that. They continued to play the way that they played the entire game, and that's also very encouraging. They actually created an opportunity in the 56th minute, but it just didn't come off. For Josh Maja, there there was an opportunity, but it just didn't come off. And then what's interesting, right after that, you have Carl Ancelotti making the double substitution, and, and Josh King, the other Josh, comes on. And then you have King coming on. And what's interesting about this, and this is a key moment, Max, because uh, I think this can, can get lost. Josh King has a great opportunity, a great run. Who's with him all the way, but it's Kenny Tete, and gets the ball off of him. That could have easily gone against Fulham. That was good defense from Kenny Tete. And shortly after that, shortly after that, you have the situation that leads to the second goal from Josh Maja. And again, there's a change here because from – Harrison Reed, like I said, he is now taking more initiative going forward. He's not just a defensive midfielder. He is looking forward. He's also looking for his own shot, which is great. So he has a great shot off the post, and there you are for the second goal. Let's talk about the second goal from Josh Maja, which, again, you know, we're Fulham fans. Was the match over at that point? Probably not, but it was much more comfortable at this point. Yeah, and credit to Harrison Reed because – he gets himself into great positions, you know, outside of the 18 yard box. That's and, right. And yeah, I think a lot of fans urge him to shoot and he doesn't most of the time, but we saw two strikes this match. First one in the first half just went wide. That's right. And this one is perfect. I mean, it was hit so well. And that's what I want to see more of from defensive midfielders and, you know, non strikers because why not? We need goals from other players. I think that's going to be the main that's a great point. of mm. the next 15 matches is that Josh Maggi, I think, will chip in a good amount of goals. But we need but it from need, other yeah, sources. Help, I agree. He can't do it alone. I think we can talk about Lookman later on and where those goals yes. are going to come from, but it can't all be the number nine. So it was great to see Harrison Reed tries luck. And the anticipation is superb for Magia. You know, that isn't easy to do. A lot of players are ball-watching that situation. The Everton defense was, uh, honestly. And Magia took the opportunity, gambled, just like he did for the first goal. And it was kind of the flip side of what happened in the first half when, you know, Decadova Overreed's flick-on hit the post. Everyone just kind of stood still. If Aina had been following that up, Instead of kind of waiting on his heels, we might go one nil up in the first half. And it's just that striker's instinct again. Kind of the intangibles. You can't really teach it. You learn it um, or from a young age or just born with it to know where that ball is going to be to right. anticipate the rebound and to always take a chance. And that's just what's been missing the entire season. And that's why we're so lucky to have Magic with us now. It's crazy. We got maybe we got the right Josh. You know, <laughs> I, I hate to say maybe we end up getting the right Josh. And uh, Josh King, you know, tried to make an impact for Everton. It's funny, they were they were talking about that at halftime. They're like, okay, well, Fulham tried to get Josh King, and they were saying that Everton should bring him on at halftime. And Carlo Ancelotti waited until I think, yeah, I wrote down the 56th minute. That's when 
He made that double substitution because at that point, Fulham were really just on top, and he needed to find a way to change the game. And this goes back to what Alex said earlier. I think this has a little to do with arrogance because he thought that they would eventually work it out, and it wasn't working. So then he said, okay, fine. Now I have to make the change. But the change probably was too late. It was too late. And then, of course, Fulham scored the second goal, and it's 2-0. But I want to go to you, Alec, because a lot of fans have pointed to this because I, I talked about how it was a dominant performance, but they talk about this. Let's, let's end our discussion talking about the final 10 minutes of the match. How nervous were you? Now, again, this is Fulham. We're thinking about Fulham. We are, you know, and again, myself as well, I was, I was um, biting my fingernails. I was all nervous just like everyone else. How do you think we handled? I'm talking about the players. I'm talking about Fulham. The last ten minutes, it wasn't it was nervy times, but they were still up two 0 I actually was going into the, those last ten minutes. I was pretty confident. I I just thought that we had been solid all game, and I didn't see the tide of the game turning at all. It just didn't look okay. like it would it would turn at all. They offered no threat. It, they did, offered no threat on the ground, no threat in the air, and we had the game under control. It, ordinarily, I would have said, I, I, ordinarily against maybe a, a side that showed a bit more promise, maybe like Liverpool or, or Chelsea, uh, I would have said I would have been a little bit more worried. But I was not actually worried going into those into those last ten into those last ten minutes at all. Um, credit to the credit to the players, and I also think that although we sat back a little bit, we didn't we didn't completely take our foot off the gas. We were not no. just we were not just nine men behind the ball, nine men in the penalty box just hoofing the ball away. We were still trying to run the ball up the pitch. And that's what and that's where I think we can really see a level of composure that we didn't see at the start of the season. It wasn't it wasn't a panic it wasn't a panic last ten minutes. It was it was calm. It was we were cool as a cucumber. Confident so, and and you could just see that they exude the players exuded that exuded that attitude on the pitch. And I think when when the players show that attitude, they it, they internalize it as well, and they just know that they're not they're, they're not going to just give up the game. They're not going to just hemorrhage four goals at, at the last minute. And I, I just I, I I I was actually very impressed at with how we with how we closed out the game. And Everton didn't really have that much in the last ten minutes. Okay, Max, your view of, of the last ten minutes? How were you feeling? Were you as confident as Alec? Again, I was confident, but I'm still – I've seen the other side of all these matches, and I'm thinking, okay, can they actually see this out? And, and they did. They absolutely did. And uh, I think the players played with, like Alex said, a calmness and I'll say a confidence. Yeah, I wasn't quite as uh, as assured of the result just because <laughs> I had flashbacks to the Leicester City match when you know we were up 2-0 away from home. And then that one goal from Harvey Barnes. Harvey Barnes scores. Totally yeah. changed the story. Oh, boy, yeah. And, yeah, I really believe in the kind of last couple minutes of football match. There'll always be you know, the one more chance doctrine. I strongly believe in that. There'll always be a chance of a fall to a player. So I just fear that it would get cut down to one goal and then there'd be that chance for Everton and they might take it, you know, which is actually what we saw them do at Old Trafford in their last league match. Yep. Or, or draw at, at the death. So I was definitely nervous. And they did have a goal ruled off for offside. They did. They did. That. Um, By Josh King. They did. Yeah, that was that. Josh King. Yeah. So we weren't totally smooth sailing. And I, and I do think we were playing a little bit of just kind of hoof it. Uh, we kind of gave up on attacking once kind of Cavalera came in, in my opinion. But hey, we saw it through. It doesn't really matter. Um, we got the 2 0. And it's a clean sheet away from home. And it was very professionally, you know, closed at the end. And that's all you can ask for. Okay. Excellent. Great stuff, guys. All right. We're going to end the show. 
with really talking about man of the match, but we're going to go a little bit beyond that because I want to talk about some of the individual performances because I, I think it goes beyond just man of the match. But let's just start here. Your, let's start with talking about who was your man of the match. Alec, I'll go to you. Who was your man of the match? I, I think we have to... I think I have to go with Harrison Reed. Uh, just the intensity that he showed, he really dominated that that cent- central midfield battle. Um, I think there were a lot of special mentions in there, including Lookman, who I who you know yep. it was mentioned that we didn't know if he played well. I actually think Lookman played very well, um, and, and you could see that from just his involvement in both of in both of the goals. Yep. Um, I thought Aina also had a great Aina also had a great match. Uh, I thought obviously Maja had a great obviously had had a great match as well. So. I think a lot of special mentions um, from the match, but I think ultimately Harrison Reed has to clinch it. And if you and you know what, watching the match of the day last night, he, <laughs> the pundits seem to agree with that. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be hard not to say Harrison Reed. You know, as as I said in full time, he ran the show, Max. He completely ran the show, and that to me is so encouraging because as we talk about, and I'm glad that Alec brought this up from the get go. This match was won in central midfield. And Harrison Reed and of course Lamina had a big part of that, but I think I think it really really has to go more for man of the match to Harrison Reed. Your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's it's weird that everyone is so convinced it's Harrison Reed, which I do agree with as well. When the the debut starter got two goals and he's not <laughs> man of the match, that shows you how well Harrison Reed played. That's right. I also want to give mm-hmm. a shout out to Tosin, who I thought was just I'm glad that you mentioned completely that. flawless. The way he, he just cuts out passes and just seems to intercept it and just know the ball is going to be so assured. And also, I mean, Anderson, his switches of play were just magnificent. To That's why I brilliant. wanted to mention other performances, yeah, Max. You're, you're bringing it up because this is why I want to talk about that. And that's how you know it really was a great performance because yep. you could li- literally make a case for anyone, man, in the yep. match. We haven't really talked about Lamina that much. I thought nope. Lamina was superb. Um, so many people just stepped up. Tate also was excellent, as you mentioned. So that's why I'm really pleased. It was not just a one-man show. No. You look at the scoreline, you might just think, oh, Magic just got two goals. But no, every single player, I think, put in yep. a real shift. Totally agree. But I'm glad that you brought this up, and I want to get Alex's thought on uh, talking about Tosin and Anderson because I'm glad that we're talking about because both of their passing was, I thought, great. You know, like I said, I love Anderson's passing, but it was Tosin as well. But this is the part that I want to talk about because, Alex, you mentioned – talking about how we won it in central midfield. But you know what? Having the confidence, and we'll start at Ariola, having that guy back there, and then you have these two center backs that I think are showing confidence, it flows forward. Am I wrong to look at these guys? Because, again, we're focusing on Harrison Reed as man of the match and, of course, everyone else moving forward. But I think you have to look back, too, because I think it starts with Ariola. Absolutely starts there, and he had nothing to do except for, like I said, very he had very little. I shouldn't say nothing. He had very little to do, but his confidence. But the two center backs, you know, you watch Anderson; he looks confident. He looks so confident. It's so different than say the beginning of the season. It shows the difference that that he and Tosin have brought us for sure. And I think that whilst we've been you know, romanticizing the midfield battle, we have to also recognize that Harrison Reed is only able to win the midfield battle if he can actually cover the space that exists between the offensive line and the, and the defensive line. So we have to give real confidence. Uh, we have to give real credit to um, 
uh, to Anderson and Tosin because right. not only did they play with confidence, but they played with confidence with quite a high line as well. That's they right. had to shut down that space between the offensive line and the defensive line because otherwise Harrison Reed wouldn't have been able to dominate like he did. Uh, he can only cover so much space. He's only one man. And so uh, you have we have to give great credit to, to the defense for their positioning and their confidence um, throughout the game. Um, in that in that respect, and also just the fact that we could actually start every we could start every play from the back. It doesn't have to be it does the ball does, it does an attack doesn't have to start from uh, a bounce a bouncing loose ball in the middle of the of the park. That just kind of that just kind of causes the whole play to run amok. It's it wasn't luck. It was careful, considered play right from the get go. So I think both both in helping us just main our strategic positioning yep. as well as even with our with our actual plays, um, I think they were actually absolutely crucial. And full credit to Ariola because I'm sure he did play a role yep. in actually pushing them up there and making sure that they held their position and didn't drop too deep. It can be quite scary for a defensive de- for, for a defense like that to play a high line, and we did nearly get caught out. Tete yes. did. Tete had to get was super fast in, in making that in that making that challenge when Everton had that chance. So, yep. you know, we do run a risk there, but at the same time, full credit to the back two for, for maintaining that high line, um, through, you know, through, through thick and thin, really. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Alec. That's why I wanted to talk about them. But it's funny because uh, I, while we're doing this, I'm also thinking about former match and, and an opponent coming up, and, and uh, we have a huge match against Burnley. So, Max, I'm going to take this to talk about, because, again, I'm talking about the confidence of those two back there, right? I look at that Brighton match, and we we really controlled the first, say, 15, 20 minutes, and then they pressed us. And then Tosin, who looked so confident, looked nervous. They started to look nervous. Why aren't more teams pressing us? You know, Everton. Everton didn't, you know, they really didn't press us, Max. And I think that's something, you know, when we look towards Burnley and we look towards some of these other opponents coming up, you know, if I'm them, I, I might try to press us. You know, I'm, you know, and again, I'm, I know I'm trying to, I'm not trying to, to uh, be negative here because I'm a positive person. I'm just trying to be realistic because I would love to see us play like this every match. But I think they're going to be teams that are going to like, you know what, we're, we're going to press full. Yeah. I think one simple explanation is that. We've barely scored any goals this season, so teams don't really fear us uh, in an attacking sense. And, and why press a team who won't break you down anyway? So hopefully, that's half I mean, empty as always, Max. I don't know. I mean, maybe that will change once people see what we did. There's Max. I mean, there's Max. Defense. Why would I press Fulham? We're, we're the, I mean, the second lowest scoring team in the league. So okay, Just, okay. Over to you, Alec. Your thoughts on that? Because again, it seems like a way to really put us under a little pressure because I was feeling good about the opening stages of that Brighton match. And, and I'm just thinking about opponents coming up and then they started to get in, in our faces and it, and it really affected fall. We're not a physical, we're not that physical of a side I feel. And, and when people, when teams rough us up a bit, we do, it does rattle us a little bit. Yeah. And that's why, and, and that's why I do. I'm, I don't go into these in, into these games against these relegate in the against these relegation sides like Burnley and Newcastle. I don't go into the, these games with a huge amount of confidence. I actually go into the games with Liverpool and Chelsea with a little bit more confidence because because they'll let us play. 
because they let us play. Yeah, because they let us play, and they don't want to get their key players suspended. Whereas Burnley and Bright and Burnley and Brighton, they just try to roughhouse us, and yeah. that really disrupts our flow. When you're a team that plays with the ball on the ground, you don't, you know, you don't want yeah. some, you don't want players snapping at your ankles yep. or pushing you off the ball. So I think there's still, I think there's still a lot to play for. Um, I'm seeing the comments. I'm seeing that Newcastle lost. So that's good. They, they did. I, I actually have it on as we're doing the show. Oh well, that's oh you do. Okay, well that's that's the first I'm hearing of the news. So that's <laughs> so that's great news. Hopefully, you know Newcastle capitulate. You know, continue to capitulate because they have really slipped down, slipped down the table in these last yep. few games. Whereas Burnley and Brighton have sort of run away with, run away with it a little bit. So. I, I, you know, I, th- I think, I, I think in these next few games, I think these are definitely games that we can pick up at least some points from, and especially, you know, against Newcastle, we, I think Newcastle's the last game of the season. Newcastle's we need, the last we, match of the season. That's going to be a big. Oh. That's going to be a big game. Still a long way to go. We're still yep. seven points behind, but you know, with all of those six pointers coming up, we can easily close that gap. I'm not. I, I, I'm. I have no worries about that. Okay. Max, what are your thoughts about this? And I, w- I want to share this comment. Burnley will be a different battle from Fulham, a physical matchup. We're just talking about that. How does Fulham match up against a team like Burnley? It'll be completely different. Yeah, I mean, and Burnley just won a 3-0 at Selhurst Park. So, I mean, they're yep. definitely on good form as well. I've seen a lot of chatter that they're going to be missing Ben Mee off the yes. injury protocol, which will be a boost for us. But yep. yeah, that'll be a tough battle. I think it's tough because – we need to win. And I don't think we've ever won in the league at Turf Moor and the Premier League at least. It's some kind of crazy record. But as you mentioned, you know, we, we can break that record just like we broke. Just like we did at Goodison Park. Just One like thing I say about survival in Newcastle, just on that topic, I think if we play and, and finish like the way we did against Everton, I think we can get up to 38 points around about 38 to 40 points. Now, that's still a lot to do. But I think almost a more difficult thing is hoping Newcastle only gets 12 13 points from the remaining 15 matches. Well, that's the issue that you have. You're, you're playing catch-up. That's the issue. And you have a team that doesn't need to win as much as you do. So yeah. you're, you're, you're hoping that a team really goes on a, on a losing streak yeah. for you yeah. to survive. You are depending on someone else besides yourself, and that's not a place you want to be. Yeah. So and- I, understand, I, I understand why Mike really focuses on the numbers, and this is where the numbers play a factor. Yeah. So we, yeah, we need hour. twenty points. We need twenty points. I, I feel, regardless, you know, thirty-eight. If we can get to thirty-eight points, we need four wins and then a few draws, and that that should be good enough. But I, I don't think we can rely on the other teams to drop points. When you're in the relegation battle, one win here and there for another team can can really offset can offset all of the all yeah. of the games before that, all of the all of the poor form before that. I mean, look at us. I mean, we are we're sitting here feeling you know high as kites after you know in the last this is our first win since november it's our first win in the new year so imagine if we want to you know more. this is yeah the tie can turn it so quickly i think yep. just we need to focus we have to, we have a target of 20 22 points we need to get to that 38 40 point mark okay we can kind of feel safe again i think okay Wow, I'm I'm not, I'm not feeling as confident as I did before the show. I wonder why. Um, I've got I've got you know I'm the glass half full guy, but but Alec, you're you're pretty confident as well. But what's what's good about this and uh, is having both you guys on. Like I said, I'm I'm the old guy, but you guys really give some uh, some some good comments and uh, 
some really great analysis. I really appreciate you guys doing the show. Before we go, final thoughts from both of you, and then we'll wrap it up. First, Alex, to you, final thoughts. Good win. Solid finishing. Solid at the back. Let's keep it going. <laughs> okay. Max, final thoughts from you. Yeah, echo everything what Alex said. It's great to bring a show after a win. It's just been so long, right? And it really gets you down as a fan, doing loss after draw after loss. So I think the whole community just was delighted. We needed this for all of our sanity, all of our positivity. And listen, we have another match in two days. That's a glorious thing about Premier League football is that coming. And I think the players would have loved to play today if they were offered to, just going off that high of getting that win. I just really hope we see the full and we know that we can be on Wednesday night. I hope we don't see the shell of the side, you know, it's a big match. Let's, let's, let's be heroes. You know, let's get the squad to yeah. play up to potential and then who knows what can happen. Okay. It's funny. While you guys are talking about this, I'm just thinking about had a conversation with my wife before we started the show. She, she says to me, it's like, how many shows are you doing this week? Have, you know, like, <laughs> like, like what's up with you? It's like, do they have a match every day? Like what's going on? <laughs> because it certainly feels like that because of, you know, again, partially because of, of the pandemic, the matches are coming very quickly, and uh, hey, people want to hear talk about foam, which is great, and it's even better when we can do it after a victory. Then I could do two shows after a victory. It's just, it's great. And then I can finish the show with you guys and go on Peacock Max and watch it back again because that'll make me happy. That'll make me happy watching this, watching this again. All right. Well, it's been a great show, but it is time to wrap this up. For Alec Coben. And Max Cohen, CNC Foam Factory. Yes, I went with it, Max. I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you as always for watching and listening to Cottage Talk. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.